They lay down their shield. They lay down their sword. They're struck with one of Satan's fiery darts and they become ineffective for the Lord. They have to be carried off the battlefield of the Lord. It's as if they die with their hands on the threshold of great service for the king. Well, I hope your Bible's open at Judges chapter 19. I want to ask you all a question. How many here have ever had one of those almost made it moments in life where you almost won the day? And maybe it was in a game of sports where they were throwing the ball to you and you almost caught it. (laughs) Or maybe... It was a test, an exam, and you get home, and they ask you, how'd you do? And you say, well, I almost passed. Or how about a driver's test? Now, I know some of you personally on this, this score, uh, we are praying for you, and uh, you went for your driver's test, and you just missed it. You just got something wrong that shouldn't have. So we prayed for you again a second time, you went. And you almost got it the second time. So uh, these are those golden moments in life where you almost made it. Many years ago, 30 years ago, I knew a man, a Christian man, who told me that before he became a Christian, he worked in a real estate company. He and a few other guys, they got their own real estate company going. And this was during a part of the boom and they did something like $50 million or $100 million in gross sales. But then he said, we still ended up losing $2 million and we went bankrupt. And I sat there dumbfounded. And there's an example of a man who almost made it. Well, today we have a story of a woman who almost made it. And the Bible says that her hands were literally on the threshold of the door. And so we're going to talk about that today and try and learn a few lessons, maybe how we can make our next venture a success. So let's start with prayer. Our Father, once more, we humble ourselves. We ask that you would teach our hearts today. There may be someone here today who is in the process of trying to do something special, important, or even great. And they're afraid that they might just miss it. There are those perhaps who've just come through that experience and may not be feeling so chipper that they had this opportunity and they just missed it. Father, there may be those of us who this week or this month will have a golden opportunity. What will we do if we miss it? Father, speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, folks, we've got a very interesting story. And I'll tell you, I've got mixed emotions on this whole story, but it's in the Scriptures and it really happened. It's a story about a Levite. Now, a Levite, his job was to help out the priests. And so he was in the ministry. The Levites were part of the the ministry back then. We might call this a man of the cloth. He was in a full-time ministry. He was a Levite. But the story is about him and his concubine. 
Now you say there's an interesting word. We don't tend to use that word too much. A concubine. What is a concubine? A concubine literally means a, um, uh, a paramour, a lover on the side. So that's, that's what a concubine is. Now at this point you may be wondering, what is a man of the cloth doing with a concubine? A paramour. Well, stranger things have happened, I'm sure. But this is a strange one, I know. Another question ought to come to our mind. This was an, uh, an Israelite woman. How did she ever become a concubine? This kind of thing wasn't really looked upon with honor. This was the dregs. This was the seedy side, the dark side of life. What's she doing on the dark side of life? How did she become a concubine? We don't know. In fact, you're going to hear me say that several times through this sermon. We don't know. We can speculate. Possibly she grew up, maybe her parents were hard on her. Maybe she had some girlfriends that were too great an influence on her. Perhaps, you know, when she got into her teenage years, she started to rebel. I mean, that's a common thing, isn't it? We see that and hear that a lot. Teenagers, they rebel. And sometimes what used to be a little bit of heaven on earth now becomes World War III, you know, inside of four walls. The peace, the harmony is gone with the teenage rebellion. And sometimes as parents we wonder, what's gotten into my teenager's head? What's wrong with her? What's wrong with him? Sometimes we forget that some of us went through some rebellious times when we were back in those uh, terrible teen years because those are real topsy-turvy years for many people. Now, they weren't called teenagers back then. We, we've only adopted that term just early in, uh, I should say lately in Earth's history here, but we don't know. Maybe she, she grew up, she started to, to hang out where she shouldn't have hung out, but she got involved with this lifestyle and... Um, Bible uses the word whore. We often use the word prostitute. But that's the kind of thing that she was getting involved in. She wasn't keeping herself pure. Now, is it possible that her, her parents or her father or mother sort of pushed her into that as a means of making money to pay the family bills? There's a lot of that that goes on throughout the world, you know. Uh, that, that whole you know, sex industry is is to, in my, my thinking one of the worst, one of the worst blights upon, upon the, the planet. There's a lot of human trafficking going on right here in Canada. It makes my blood boil when I learn of things happening. And uh, I'm powerless. There's no button I can push. I can pray and ask God to intervene and help. But we don't know. You see, we just don't know how this girl got involved with that kind of lifestyle. But here's something we do know. If you look at chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel. So Israel was without a king. You say, what's the significance of that? Turn a page to the right and you'll see. Uh, or page, two pages. Chapter 21, verse 25. 21, 25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Now, I want you to read out loud with me these next words. 
Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no leadership. There was no king on the throne. There was no one to set the tone and the direction. They had no one to look to. They lacked leadership. There was no king in Israel. And so, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now that we do know. That was the mindset back then in those days with the Levite and this concubine. Now, it's interesting that in the story, she's never called his wife. And yet, if you look at chapter 20 and verse 4, um, and the Levite, the husband of the woman that was slain. There he is called a husband. She's never called his wife, but he is referred to as her husband. In chapter 19 and verse 4, and his father-in-law. See that? So the girl's, husband, the girl's father is referred to as the Levite's father-in-law. And so there was some kind of marriage that took place. It wasn't like that the Levite, you know, was sleeping with a woman he wasn't married to. He was married to her. But she was called a concubine, I believe, because of her past. That past was still following her. And folks, there's something we need to be careful of and we need to caution those who are heading down a wrong pathway. Be careful. Because you can do things in life, you can get involved with things in life, and they will haunt you for years or perhaps for the rest of your life. I just read a story this morning about a 12-year-old girl, I believe in South America. She was brutally attacked, raped, uh, left for dead, but she, she lived. And they got her into the hospital, and they found she was pregnant. You say, at 12 years? Well, it can happen. And it happened to her. And the doctors were recommending an abortion. And she asked the doctors this one question. Will an abortion take away all of my pain, my guilt, my sorrow, my fear? And they said, no, it won't. So she said, huh, there's no sense in having an abortion then. She decided to keep the child. The young girl got saved. She grew up. Her daughter, she gave birth to a daughter. Her daughter got saved. They became godly people. And the Lord led in the young mother's life in a little ministry to encourage. And she goes to different churches encouraging people. Well, that's another story. But point is here, This girl did things in her life that followed her. And I think that's why she's called a concubine. She's never called his wife, although he is often referred to here as her husband. So, again, is it possible that this girl was another man's paramour? Um, yes. Quite likely, she was probably paramour to several men. It's only a, a guess. We don't know. See there, you, you heard it again. We don't know. 
Uh, now, along comes the Levite. Here's a man of the cloth. And he takes a shine to her. He likes her. And so maybe she thought this is her chance at a brand new life. Maybe she could leave the past behind. Again, we don't know. But the truth is, she needed what only the Lord could do for her. Anyone who messes up their life, anyone who gets themselves in trouble, they need what only the Lord can do for them. There is no human that can help them like the Lord Jesus can help. And that's why we encourage everyone, take your troubles to the Lord. Leave them there. Cast your burdens upon Him, for He careth for you. That's what sustained me in the ministry all these years. I just kept taking my burdens and my cares and problems to the Lord. Lord, here's another one. You know, the amazing thing is the Lord says, give it to me, I'll take care of it. And if we would get in the habit of doing that with our sorrows and our woes and our guilts and our fears, it won't be too long before we're going to feel a little bit lighthearted and a little bit happy again. So again, we don't know too much about this girl here, but she needed what only the Lord could do. And apparently, the, they got married. So in verse 1, we have the certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim who took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. And so they got married. Probably not a big ceremony, but they got married, it seems. Now, something happened in verse 2. And his concubine played the whore against him. Oh no. Oh no. That's not starting off a marriage on the right foot, is it? And uh, probably her old past was catching up with her. Quite likely, she still had her old lusts, guilt, shame, fear. It was all still there. She probably had not yet gotten right with God. So she left her husband and she went with some other men. She played the whore against them. And then she took off. It says here in verse 2, And went away from him unto her father's house, to Bethlehem, Judah, and was there four whole months. And so she traveled approximately 20 miles back to her father's house. Maybe she was afraid of what her husband would do to her. But maybe more likely... She took off because of the shame and the guilt. And that's what pushes a lot of people to take off, is because they've done something, they feel very shameful, all they can think of is, get out of there. So my guess is probably it was the shame. And it says that she was there for, for four months. Verse number three says, And her husband arose and went after her. And this is after four months. What did he wait four months for? Quite possibly, it's because he was in his Levite duties and he had to be you know, there at the temple or to do something and it would require those months to do it. We don't know. Maybe she knew this and she timed it and that's when she took off because she knew he'd be tied up. Business. The service of the Lord was requiring him to be a certain place for four months. Again, it's only speculation. But after four months... Um, he went and spoke to her heart to heart. In verse 3, it says, uh, He went after her to speak friendly unto her and to bring her again, having his servant with him and a couple of asses. 
And she brought him into her father's house. And when the father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. Now she's called a woman. She's called a damsel. A damsel is a very young girl. Well, I guess we could say a teenager, I suppose. Uh, so we don't exactly know her age, but she was a young lady. We'll put it that way. So anyhow, he went in, he spoke nice to her, and she was probably relieved over that. She was probably feeling a whole lot better that he, that he still wanted her. And maybe she thought there's a chance of putting the marriage back together, a chance of starting this thing all over. So after a few days, they get ready to leave to go back, but her, her um, father, the, the wife's father, really likes this man of the cloth. And he says, oh, no, let's eat and you know, drink and be merry, and, and then you go. And then it was too late in the day. Well, this sort of thing went on until finally he says, no, no, I got to go. I got to go. So he leaves, but he leaves late in the day. And because it's late in the day, he can't make the whole journey. He's got to stop along the way at night. And so we'll come down here to verse 11. It says, and when they were by Jebus, the day was far spent, and the servant said unto his master, Come, I pray thee, and let us turn into this city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. Now, Jebus was the name of the city. The Jebusites were the name of the people who lived in Jebus. And Jebus later went on to become a very famous city that's still in Israel today. Does anyone know the name of it? Jerusalem. That's Jerusalem. But at that time, it was inhabited by very nasty people. The inhabitants were very wicked. If you remember back in the days of Abraham, a guy named Melchizedek came out of Jerusalem. And he was a godly, godly man. Well, what happened to the godly people between the time of Abraham and the time here in Judges 19? People die out, new people come on the scene, things change. And what was once possibly a, a somewhat godly city now had turned to the dogs. And it was very ungodly. Very sad, if you ask me. So he passes by Jebus because of the... It, it was basically a heathen city. Uh, it, didn't, it seemed like none of God's people were living there. And they traveled to Gibeah in the province of, of Benjamin. They kept on going. However, many of the inhabitants of Gibeah were not living for the Lord. Not whatsoever. Why? Because there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And that usually means bad stuff. And so they, they came to Gibeah. They waited on the streets. The custom was to wait there and someone would take you in and give you lodging. Um, especially if they saw he was a Levite, a man of the cloth. Now verse 16, we find this elderly man. Behold, there came an old man from his work out of the field at even. Now we don't know how old he was. It says old. We might think... You know, he's 70, 80, 90. He may have been 50. We don't know how old he was. But we know that he had a young daughter. So he couldn't have been too, too old. But he's called here an old man. He comes out of the field from his work. Uh, and he sojourned uh, in uh, Gibeah. But the men of the place were Benjamites. So finally, this, this old man from Ephraim comes along and offers the guy a place to stay. And he says, okay, takes him in. And so we come to verse 22. Now, as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial. Some people pronounce it Belial. It doesn't matter how you pronounce it. The truth is, 
They were sons of the devil. That's what they were. The word Belial or Belial is a Hebrew word for worthless, absolute trash. And that's how these men were. They were sons of Belial. They were, it was understood to be like sons of the devil. They were that bad. And so they wanted to have that man, that Levite. They beat on the door, bang, 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 bang. And they said, bring, in verse 22, bring forth the man that came into thine house that we may know him. That sounds like a scene right out of Sodom and Gomorrah when the two angels came in to find Lot, to try and bring him out of Lot. And the wicked Sodomites banged on Lot's door and, and said, those two men that, that came in, bring them out, we want them. And you have kind of a, a repetition of, of that. Folks, we live in days like that today. There is this kind of thing happening in the world around us. I'm sad to say, but this world is not as beautiful a place as we wish it were. It's far from heaven on earth. And I hope we realize that with wars, rumors of wars, diseases, men's hearts failing them for fear, economic uncertainty, price of gas, watch the price of food is going to go up, crazy things, more crazy things are going to be happening. That's the name of the game these days, is crazy. It wouldn't surprise me if the Lord Jesus were coming back soon. We were looking for Him last year, but He didn't come. We're looking for Him this year. Say, well, what happens if He won't come? Then we're going to look for Him next year. But it can't be too many more years before Jesus comes back. Anyhow, we're not here to preach about, about that, but we're here to preach about this. And so these worthless sons of Belial, they come and bang on the door and um, these men were not saved. They did not know the Lord God. They did not love God. They were heathen party animals who lived their lives for sin, sin, sin. That's what they wanted. Now, in verse 24, it, it makes my head spin. The offer of the old man. He says in verse 24, Behold, here is my daughter, a maiden. He offers them his own daughter. But he doesn't stop there. He offers the man's wife as well. So here's my daughter, a maiden, and his concubine, them I will bring out now, and humble ye them, and do with them what seemeth good unto you. But unto this man do not so vile a thing. There's something screwy with the thinking, if you ask me. You know, it doesn't make sense. There's, there's nothing good about that. I don't think there was anything good about that back in that day either. But this is what the old man offers to the rapists. And I tell you, if my head isn't spinning in verse 24, it is in verse 25. But the men would not hearken to him. So the man, that's the Levite, took his, his concubine and brought her... Well, it could have been the old man too. But anyhow, bottom line, the concubine was brought forth unto them... And they knew her and abused her all the night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. What an absolute, wicked, horrible, horrible thing. Um, it wasn't long ago, maybe a year ago, uh, in Australia, a young couple, husband and wife, I'm guessing they were either side of 30, something like that. And they were playing in the, the, uh, the surf waters, uh, off Australia and having some fun when all of a sudden a great white shark 
came and bit his wife's leg. Without even thinking, the man plunged toward the shark. And you know how big these sharks are. Wow, 15, sometimes 20 feet, a great white shark. And he punched this thing and tried to hit it in the eye and he did everything he could possibly do. He didn't care about himself. He was trying to protect his wife. And if you ask my opinion, this Levite was certainly no man who would allow a thing like that. Even if his wife had a a seedy, sordid past. He married her. He knew all this. He married her. And yet, look what he allowed. I think that every man ought to give himself for his wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And I wouldn't call a man a man who would chicken out and back out and let his wife get eaten by a shark while he just saves his own skin. For him just to stay inside the comfort of four walls while his wife is out there being raped. I wouldn't call a man like that a man. I got some other words in mind that I won't share with you. But this is a horrible atrocity. What was going through their minds? Maybe the Levite thought, well, my wife is experienced with men. She'll, she'll be able to satisfy them or something. We don't know. There we go again. More things we don't know. We don't know. Maybe they argued. Maybe he pushed her out the door. We don't know. But what those sons of Belial did to that poor woman, we also won't know. But they were brutal. Now verse 26. Then came the woman in the dawning of the day and fell down at the door of the man's house where her Lord was till it was light. And her Lord, this is talking about her husband, the Levite, rose up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. And behold, the woman, his concubine, was fallen down at the door of the house and her hands were upon the threshold. What a sad, sad ending to what could have been A decent life. A sad ending really to a misfortunate girl who got herself involved with things at a young age and these things seemed to get the better of her. They seemed to pull her back into darkness. Her husband went after her. Starts on the way home and this happens. A sad ending. You know, she almost made it back. Her hands were upon the threshold. She almost made it back. What if she had somehow made it back into the house? What if? Would she have lived happily ever after? We don't know. But at least she would have stood a chance at making a better life for herself. Maybe she would have gone on and had children. We don't know. The point is, she almost made it back. Her hands were upon the threshold. History is filled with stories of people who almost made it They almost won the day. But it's like they died with their hands on the threshold of success. And we've got stories throughout the Bible of this type of thing. One or two stories, you might think that they're kind of bad stories, but still, people who almost made it but didn't make it. One of them was Pharaoh. You know, he almost made it out of the Red Sea. But... He died 
He died. He was crushed by all of the tons of water that God brought in upon him and all his armies. And they all died, as it were, with their hands on the threshold. Another one was uh, Haman in the book of Esther. Again, a creepy guy and not a good guy. His scheme was to destroy the Jews. And he almost made it. But he himself died on the very gallows that he built for Mordecai the Jew. He died with his hands on the threshold. Now those aren't good, good story examples, but they're examples of people who almost made it. But I'll tell you a good one. In the book of Deuteronomy, good old Moses, he wanted nothing more than to get into the promised land. And he almost made it. But his own sin of anger, striking the rock where he was supposed to talk to it, speak to the rock, but he struck it. That's what prevented him from entering into the promised land. He died with his hands on the threshold. It makes us wonder, doesn't it, how many Christians there are in the world that show great promise in doing something great for the Lord Jesus Christ, but they never seem to do it. They never seem to make it. They never seem to become all that God wants them to, to become. It's as if they somehow die with their hands on the threshold of great things for the Lord, isn't it? It makes us wonder how many Christians there are who may have entered into the spiritual battlefield for the Lord Jesus, girding on the armor with shield and sword, so to speak, and at some point before the battle is over, they lay down their shield they lay down their sword. They're struck with one of Satan's fiery darts and they become ineffective for the Lord. They have to be carried off the battlefield of the Lord. It's as if they die with their hands on the threshold of great service for the king. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? What can we do to make sure that doesn't happen to us? Well, I think it all gets down to the decisions we make. Every day we're making decisions. Don't just think about having regular daily devotions. Don't just think about it, but do it. If you didn't have devotions today with the Lord, you missed out. Now hopefully, you'll pick it up again tomorrow morning. But every day, you need to slip away for a short season of Bible reading and prayer. You need to do that, beloved. Maybe you've been thinking about it for some time. Well, the time for thinking is done. The time for action has begun. Lest we die with our hands on the threshold of the prayer closet. Well, we almost, we almost had a time with the Lord. What a tragedy that would be. Of course, we don't want to just think about faithful church attendance. But we need to actually do it. You know, some people, we call them C and E Christians. Have you ever heard that expression? C and E Christian. What is a C and E Christian? It means they go to church twice in a year. Christmas and Easter. A C and E Christian. We don't want to be like that. Nor do we want to be a once a monther. Be faithful. I realize that many of us have jobs that require us to work on Sundays. By the way, did you know you can get into your prayer closet and ask God for help to adjust your work schedule so you get Sundays off? 
Oh, my boss would never allow it. Yeah, I know, but maybe God would. I know of people in this church in that same predicament. Pastor, pray for me. I want to get Sundays off. I'll pray for you. In fact, they would raise their hand on Wednesday night. Pray for me. I can get Sundays off. We'd pray for them. You know what happened? They got Sundays off. God is a prayer answering God. So, please, the time for thinking about, oh, you know, one day I'm going to be real faithful in church. The time for thinking is done. The time for decision is upon us in the light of Christ's imminent return to this world. Let's get on the bandwagon and, and let's be faithful every week in the house of the Lord lest we die with our hands on the threshold of the front door of the church. Coming up the end of this month is an opportunity for us all to take part in a great chance, an opportunity to see some great things happen for God at Sacrifice Sunday. Now you do need to think about it. You do need to pray about it. You need to discuss it. But you need to do something about it. We've done this for years and years. And it works, beloved. No one has ever gone bankrupt or broke or hungry or anything because they've given to Sacrifice Sunday. And what I'm referring to is to give a sacrificial gift, something that that costs you something. And that's why we encourage you, give a week's pay. You say, I'm not sure I can do that. Hey, I'll tell you what, none of us are sure we can do anything. But that's why the just shall live by, what? Faith. The just shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in God's promise. Luke 6.38, give and it shall be given unto you. That's the promise of Almighty God. We put our faith in His promise We go ahead and do it, and then God comes through for us. That's how it works. We'll be able to do some great things. Our auditorium lighting, these hard fluorescent lights, we've put up with them for years. It's time to get some better lighting in here. It'll help you to see the screen a lot better. It won't be as hard on the eyes. We're in a place to be able to do that. So that's one of the things we want to do with Sacrifice Sunday. So there's an opportunity Get involved, lest you die with your hands on the threshold. Of course, there's soul winning. Don't just think about it, but come for the training. In a couple months, we're going to start training. Saturday mornings, one hour for four Saturdays. Four hours of training. Sign up. You don't have to go out and knock on any doors at all. But come and get the training on how to be able to talk to people and share your faith. Do that, lest you die with your Hands on the threshold. And of course, young people. Young people, you've got your whole life ahead of you. 40 years, maybe 50 years ahead of you. You get one chance at life. One chance. You can't go back. One day you're going to be older and you're going to say with the rest of us, you know, I wish I could go back and start again with what I know now. If we took a survey, we'd find that most people have at some point said that. Well, young people, you've got one life. Make it count for the Lord Jesus. And I encourage you, the best way to do that is to get grounded in the Word of God. Too many Christian young people have gone off to the worldly universities to get their training, only at the same time to have their faith crushed. The peer pressure is enormous in universities and colleges. 
they want to turn you out to be just like them. They don't believe in God. They believe in evolution. They're going to do everything they can to crush your faith. What are you going to do to offset that? How will you prepare yourself? Come to Bible college, even for one year. It'll go by quick, and it'll ground you in the faith. And you'll be able to withstand the battlefield of the colleges and the universities out there. Folks, we need to conclude here. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to have a moment of prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.